Warning, you're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. It's time to feed the people. Oh boy. Oh boy. We back. Oh boy. <laughs> What's up, everybody? What's going on? Uh, another day, another dollar. <laughs> another day, another dollar. <laughs> another dollar. Another skunk hollow. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my god, another day, another dollar, another skunk holla, and we are back for episode 10 of the Feed the People podcast. I'm with your hosts, AJ Richards and Brooke Entz. Where are we checking in from, fam? Southern Utah, back home. I'm just home. Just. I was in Thailand for two months, and now it's like every time someone asks me, even just the question, hey, what do you have tomorrow? I'm like... (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> I think a lot and I don't know any of it. So <laughs> you're stressing me out. Don't ask me that question. I will figure it out <laughs> eventually. Well, nice. AJ. I'm down in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona. And my man's here. Yeah. Christmas we're down, time? down here for about 12 years. Yep. Came down for Christmas and in-laws are still down here. So it's nice to come back from visit, but I cannot wait to get out of here when it's time to leave. I'm not a big city guy, man. I, 12 years here my buddies always said when i moved down it'll grow on you no like idea. when and they're like yeah give it a couple years two years in i'm all when and they're like give it five five years in when <laughs> we're gonna st- we're gonna start the show off hot are you ready mm-hmm. let's do it pop quiz What was your favorite Christmas present? (laughs) I got one. What was it? I got a denim jacket from Schaefer Outfitters. It is very nice. The collar is a nice leather camel color. Shout out. Inside is plaid. Shout out denim jackets for the girl, for our lady Brooke Entz on the show. Bet it looks good on you. you. Awesome. AJ. You know, I'm just at the age where I buy what I want throughout the year. So I didn't open anything for Christmas. That's all right with me though. I like watching my kids open their stuff. They had a pretty good haul. They all got Apple watches and fun stuff like, cause our kids, we got uh, 12 and 14 year old daughters. They do not have smartphones. They do not have any social media and they ain't going to not till maybe 16 is convincible, but it's really kind of up to the individual and their maturity level. But yeah, they got Apple watches so we can contact them, you know, as we need to, but keep them away from the, the dangers and the pitfalls of what social media does to young brains. So, dude, I think I lied. I lied. What? This is probably my favorite Christmas present. Ooh. What'd you get? From my grandma, my, my dad's mom, my grandma and my only grandparents still alive. Yeah. She is a master family history buff she goes deep we we have so many books i have a book for my grandpa her husband 
my great grandpa, my great grandpa on her side, my great grandpa on my my grandpa's side. And this one is all about my grandma, her family, the Coxes. And I just awesome. want to read one little excerpt. So it's a coloring book. Nice. This is it's phenomenal. Got stories, it's got stories in it about my great grandpa. Wait a second. Oh, hold on. She did awesome. Here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find, wait a second. I know that I can do this. Let me, we're going to get, uh, I'm going to get an ambient dreamscape. And, okay, here we go. <coughs> okay. We'll just read this first part. Brooke's going to take us away on a magical adventure. Grandma Lee wanted a kitchen instead of having to do all the cooking in the fireplace in the living room. Grandpa Lee told her he had no time and the facilities she had were fine. One day, while he was off getting supplies in Salt Lake, a several week trip, a man gave her money for some hay he had bought from Grandpa Lee. She used, she used the money to buy supplies and she and the older children added on the kitchen. <laughs> what? This, when Grandpa Lee got home so and drove good. his horse Sorry. and wagon into the lot, <laughs> okay, okay. he saw his wife and children nailing down the shingles on the roof of the new kitchen. Grandpa Lee had a truck, garden, and he sold vegetables to people in Caliente and Delamar, as well as Panaca. I love the name Panaca. Panaca. In the wintertime, he and the boys cut blocks of ice in Condor Canyon and stored it, covered with sawdust and straw in a warehouse until summer. They would then truck the big blocks of ice to the miners in Delamar. One year, he surprised the family at Christmas time with a watermelon he had hidden in the warehouse under the sawdust. What? On, Grandpa Lee. This is phenomenal this is content right here. Okay, we're going to do one more page just because this is the one that's pretty This funny. is so good. And I read this. We were at my grandma's house and I looked at all my nieces and nephews and I was like, everybody needs to read this shit. All right? Yep. Please tell me you said this shit. This is where you learn. <clears throat> about you got tons and you should be happy with way less than what you have. Yeah. And I, of course, needed the same story when I was growing up too, you know. When Grandpa Warren and Uncle Henderson were little, they only had one pair of pants. So they had to go naked on wash day while the pants were washed in the old wash tub outside and dried on the clothesline. The washing was done once a week. A fire was built under the wash tub to heat the water. Then the clothes were scrubbed on the scrubbing board. They had a naked day. <laughs> this. Dude. It was wash day. It was naked day. The crowd goes wild. Grandpa Warren said, says that the only way they knew it was Christmas was that when they got up in the morning, there would be a huge platter of cookies on the kitchen table. Dang. Wow. You can't get this on just any other old podcast, folks. No. Nope. This is some... This is some real good content. Wow. I get blown away. That's only page. That's, that's just page one and half a page two. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, I love that for multiple reasons. One, I am also like a family historian buff. And this <gasps> yeah. just gave me so much inspiration for doing this for my family. Family coloring book. Yeah. Man, that is so cool. Okay, I have one more. All right, just go for it. Is, I, dude, I love, Dreamscape I back. Love, Dreamscape back. I love nostalgia and, her and heritage and stories. Yes. Grandpa Warren sold Studebaker wagons, then cars, and then Ford cars. He had the third car in St. George, Utah. He was the first one to register for a driver's license in Utah. 
He was always providing cars to be driven in the parades or at funerals to pull the, pull the hearse. Grandpa Warren passed the hat to pay for a poor man's wagon that burned, in the, burned to the ground. He said, that's how bad I feel, as he put money in the hat. How bad do you feel? He passed the hat to everyone who had watched the wagon burn. So there, soon there was enough money in the hat to pay for a new wagon. That is unbelievable. You think that he awesome. needed anyone to, you know, tell everyone about the good deed he did? No, because, you know, back then you were just either a good man or not so good man. That. Grandpa Warren. Shout out Grandpa Warren, everybody. One more time ah. for, for Grandpa Warren, dude. What a ledge. This is how bad I feel. How bad do you feel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watching this poor man's wagon burn up. Whoa. Yeah. Man. Ancestry.com. Dude, what a time. We literally could have yeah. just closed the show. That would have been some of the best nine minutes of content we've ever made. <laughs> Who made that book for you? My grandma. Your grandmother. What's her yeah. name? So I can give her a proper shout out. Sylvia Entz. Shout out Sylvia Entz. One more time. Round of awesome. applause for Sylvia Entz. All I was going to say is I, uh, my mother-in-law got me some, some kick-ass wrestling shorts from the company takedown i was so jazzed up about my wrestling shorts i went and did a freaking workout at like 4 p.m on christmas day i was just chopping in the back running trail and throwing dumbbells around just because i felt like i was already a better grappler but but nobody tops grandma ints not a not a shot in heck that anybody touched shout out shout out well, new shorts, it's like new shoes. You can run faster. You got to go oh, do yeah. that workout. That's what happens when you listen to this show, everybody. Feed the People podcast. You never know what you're going to get. You can get a pop quiz and eight minutes of freaking awesome content just from figuring out what we got for Christmas. <laughs> yes. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to call this one the health show. Because awesome. we all come from the health and wellness industry. That's how we got our, got, got our chops in some ways. You might say that's mm -hmm. how we became famous or known is through this industry. And so what I, what I've done, this is a Brooks takeover. This is a hostile takeover of the feed the people podcast. I've gathered some clips and I'm going to go through them in order. And I'm going to get both AJ and Brooks reaction to this. We may not get through all of them, but I I'm pretty sure we'll be able to get to some really awesome conversation and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to back up a, a figure that normally I would be prone to disagree with, but I'm going to agree with this person for reasons that this individual w is not claiming, but I think he's right for, for the wrong reasons. So we're going to start with Tedros from the WHO. Y'all know who Tedros is? Anybody? Yes. All right. Well, this is, he's made a claim. It's one minute and this is where we're going to start the show. Our food systems are harming the health of people and planet. Food systems contribute to over 30% of greenhouse gas emissions and account for almost one-third of the global burden of disease. Desus. Transforming food systems is therefore essential by shifting towards healthier, diversified, and more plant-based diets. If food systems delivered healthy diets for all, we could save 8 million lives per year. WHO is committed to supporting countries to develop and implement policies to improve diets and fight climate change. 
I'm therefore very pleased that over 130 countries have signed the COP28 UAE Declaration on Climate and Health. Together, we can protect and promote the health of both people and planet. I thank you. This is the key part that I agree with. I'm going to play the very beginning of the clip. Our food systems are harming the health of people and planet. Yes. That's where we agree. Yep. <laughs> and end. <laughs> and end on the agreement. Yeah. So so we're going to listen to that. We're going to comb this through with a fine tooth because it's in, it's important that we know what we agree on the problem, but where we're going to diverge is on the solution and what's causing it. So we this is where we've agreed. Now let's find out where we diverge. Food systems contribute to over 30% of greenhouse gas emissions and account for almost one-third of the global burden of diseases. I also agree with that. Holy that, cow. That modern... Oh, wait a second. Huh. Holy cow. Yes. Holy cow. That the food systems, and that includes moving food around, contributing yep. to any of the problems that are damaging the climate and are contributing to diseases. I agree. I agree. All right, let's let's keep going. Transforming food systems is therefore essential by shifting towards healthier, diversified, and more plant-based diets. Oh, son of a gun. You almost had me. You almost had me for a three for three. Yourself. We're at a two and a half. I agree two and a half to three. So far, we're only at a two and a half agreement. So something's got to change. Mm-hmm. It's not like we need to move to a more regenerative natural. He's got, we need to move to a more plant-based diet, and there's a reason for that. If food systems delivered healthy diets for all, we could save 8 million lives per year. I like that. If they could, he says, we could save lives. I'm all for saving lives. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb here. Might be acting a little crazy, but I'm going to agree. I'm going to believe that y'all are in for saving lives. Yeah, I'm okay. okay with some of that. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> WHO is committed to supporting countries to develop and implement policies to improve diets and fight climate change. Um, now, here's the part where it's interesting. Why they need to connect climate change to disease is, is, a, is a real important part. It it's, could be considered the linchpin of why they're needing to go in this direction because the climate science, although it, it, one might claim that it is settled, it's certainly not. And I can I could direct you to many resources. That's not the intent of the show. We're not here to talk about climate change. We're here to talk about the food system and disease. But they're linking these two together for a reason. And I believe that that reason is because small players will not be able to fit whatever system they're moving towards. And the big players will be able to because they have all the money and they have all the ability to shift whatever they're supposed to shift to do that so plant-based diets is where he's going we got to help climate change what else we got to do therefore very pleased that over 130 countries have signed the cop 28 uae declaration on climate and health together we can protect and promote the health of both people and planet i thank you thank you tedros so at face value I agree with most of what he's saying, 
I agree that there's a problem. I agree that the food system is making people sick. And I also agree that the food system itself is harming the planet in more ways than one, whether it's desertification, whether it's waste going into the oceans because they're shipping food all over the world. What are y'all's initial thoughts about Tedros's claim here? Um, my thoughts are this. A lot of truth in the overarching claims, but his solutions are have self-interest. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's... Because if we really, if, if we really, you know, if they really were looking into all data and all science and their goal was to have like the best success possible, well, then he wouldn't be looking, he honestly wouldn't be saying uh, vegetarian diets. He'd be saying, oh, we just need to get more people to move large ruminant animals around more often so we can help create better soil. Because if even if you're like, okay, we're all going to be vegetarian, that's the diet. Well, we know that our soils are so depleted, we're already not getting the nutrients from vegetables, if that's what you're into, that you need. Like when people talk about like minerals, like we went in toward the salt mine and learning that the minerals in the rock and if you don't have good root systems, you're not pulling, you're not getting any of it into your vegetables because it mm-hmm. has the minerals and things that you need would come up through the root system in the plant. And that already isn't the best way for you to get it. Like a bigger, a much bigger issue is just our soil health, has not, which has nothing to do with global warming. Yeah. You know, <laughs> has everything to do yeah. with these big industrial you know, big companies that think that they, maybe they have a hero complex. Like I can solve the problem. She can buy all that land. We got to get rid of everything that's on it. And we're going to build a big building and then we can do it. We'll control everything that go, all the inputs we will control it. It's like, you're mm-hmm. not God, you know? Yeah. And you are trying to fix something that already didn't, it already can fix itself as long as we work with it, not against it and think that we're smarter than nature. We're not. There's there's a lot of I think common sense. Not when it comes to nature, <laughs> you know, we're not smart. We're not smarter than nature when it comes to nature. Well, and Brooks, like you just said, there's a lot of common sense missing. But that's that's what's <laughs> sneaky about these campaigns. They sprinkle enough truth that the headline people, right, the ones that lack common sense, the headline people, like their entire. Uh, thought process is formulated by a headline and then that's where it ends. So they've got enough truth in there. Like we just broke down like, yep, yep, yep. And then you, you get into this automatic and then you say yes to everything else. And because it's like, Oh, they've got it handled. Right. Like that's one of the biggest things that is probably the biggest threat for, for if worst case scenario is that, in society, if there's a major breakdown is people waiting for somebody else to solve the issue because there's not a free thinking process anymore. So that common sense divergence, right? It's like, yep, I agree with half of that. So the rest of it must be true. And then a policy is made. And now all of a sudden I can't eat meat. I can only eat lab grown meat. Now the question that AJ brings up here is people, you said people nod their head and then they go, Oh, mm-hmm. they're going to figure this out. But yeah. who is the, they, Exactly. I have a clip. All right. Good morning. 
morning, good afternoon, and good evening to wherever you are in the world. I'm Natalie Becker-Okovic, and I'll be hosting this global dialogue. I'm a co-founder of Thought Leader Global, and we do storytelling around people and organizations having a positive impact. And through our work, I'm an advocate for community health. And that starts with ensuring that everyone has access to nourishing food. I'm thrilled and excited and happy and inspired to be part of today's event. That's a lot of words. Now, on behalf of our co-hosts, Eat and the Rockefeller Foundation, I'd like to join and welcome each and every one of you. And thank you for joining us to reimagine food systems beyond COVID-19. Our program today will take a hard look at where we are, what we are up against. We will look at the street level perspectives on COVID's damage to the food system. From there, we will explore clear plans and actions to back a more nutritious, sustainable, equitable, and resilient food system for the world post-COVID-19. And there will also be food. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Who, 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 was, who was backing this? Yeah. Let's see if I can find it. I think it's right about here. Co-hosts Eat and the Rockefeller Foundation. Eat, Eat and the Rockefeller Foundation. Solid. I mean, there needs to be just like a punch list of names that as soon as you hear them, like, mm-hmm. you, you can just know that it's going to be, the rest of it is going to be filled in. The with nudge is that, on. That propaganda, that whatever their intentions are, Rockefellers, WHO. And, a, and another, another key one here, I'm going to play another like a chunk of this. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it the first time, but pay attention to who they blame for the reason that the food system is the way that it is. I'd like to join and welcome each and every one of you and thank you for joining us to reimagine food systems beyond COVID-19. Our program today will take a hard look at where we are, what we are up against. We will look at the street level perspectives on COVID's damage to the food system. Who damaged the food system? COVID. Damn it. Dang. Hold on. Dang it. God. It's the coof. It could. It wasn't the governments or the worldwide uh, uh, institutions like the WEF, the WHO that did the, the that messed up the food systems. It was COVID, you guys. COVID. COVID got us again. What a great scapegoat! I mean, what a great scapegoat! Ex- exactly. Hey you don't have toilet paper? It's COVID's fault. COVID did it. You don't have diet? You don't have formula for your babies? Oy. You, you, you oh, have no. type 2 diabetes? COVID. It is so COVID. important to make this point because oftentimes this will go overlooked. Their whole premise starts with COVID did this, so mm-hmm. we got to fix it. Mm-hmm. Not we did this, so mm-hmm. we got to fix it. COVID did this. So we got to fix it. Yeah. Okay. So I I wanted to play that because one, you got a Rockefeller sighting, which tells me that the the global nudge is on. There's, there's definitely an agenda at play. And two, the fact that they blamed it on COVID is first of all, I think it's intentionally disingenuous. Mm -hmm. And like AJ said, it's a, it's a, it's a scapegoat or a red herring. A red herring Mm -hmm. is a misleading clue a clue that is intentionally thrown out there to mislead you. So COVID did all of this. So we got to fix it because we're so smart. 
Um, so I have the uh, Siemens. Uh, do, are you familiar with the company Siemens? S-I-E-M-E-N-S. It's a major German conglomerate. Yeah. And yes. um, you have people like this pandering to go for this agenda. So I'm going to play, uh, this is about a minute and a half, the Siemens chair. I don't think that this is genu- genuine at all, but you have co- people like this guy say, making claims like this, and I'm this this will play in a little bit later. So it's a very important point that you are addressing. Um, my daughter, 24, inspired me and said, Dad, how can you advocate for these zero-carbon value chains if you still eat meat. And so I stopped eating meat. Now the math would say, well, you need to stop eating meat in 11 years to compensate for a flight to Thailand. Yes. Sorry, Brooke. You, you now you got twenty two oh, years no, I'm no going meat. Nowhere. <laughs> She's so I'm going nowhere. She, yeah, is it. Go <laughs> yourself. <laughs> exactly. So, hey, I have an idea. Yeah, yeah. So Can you Brooke, ribeye on a plane to Thailand. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Hey, he's like he's hey, like But you know what he's not gonna do? You know what they're not gonna do? What? They're not gonna stop exporting meat and importing mm-hmm things and you know really affecting the atmosphere right you need to stop eating it as opposed to shipping shit everywhere exactly we'll continue and flying our planes but if a billion people stop eating meat i tell you it has a big impact not only does it have a big impact on the current food system but it will also inspire innovation (laughs) of food systems and i predict that we will have proteins not coming from um, meat in the future. They will probably taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? They will be zero carbon and much healthier than the kind of food that we eat today. That is a mission that we need to get on. I can inspire you to maybe look at an organization called EAT, easy to remember, EAT, <laughs> who have all the facts on this and who have the policies necessary, the innovations necessary, and the scale necessary in order to make food systems sustainable and healthy. So the goal, first of all, I don't believe for one second that this guy stopped eating meat because he had a conversation with his daughter. I just don't believe that. I think that that's no. pandering. Uh, and, the, and apparently the science is so clear that if you take one flight you need to stop eating meat for 11 years to compensate for that. Now, my question is, that's only one scale. What else could I do besides stop eating meat to offset this? And I guarantee you there's a lot of there there. Uh, but that's uh, an example of the pandering that's happening by companies like Siemens, who, although I haven't checked into this yet, I would be willing to bet has a plant-based or cultivated meat-based play in the wings, ready to go, and he's got to start the nudge in the marketing. Like, oh, I just, I just feel so bad for the climate. Oh, it's just like I'm so, I just feel so guilty that I've been eating all this meat. And I mean, fuck it. I guess I'm going to keep flying around the world. I'm the uh, AG of Siemens, by the way. But I mean, at the at the at the moment, I you know, my daughter, she's just so smart. She convinced me otherwise. Yeah. So, that's the opening ramp. <laughs> of the show how we feeling so far got aj riled up yet oh. Brooke, you got a couple of buttons you got any upset buttons over there 
Just start clicking them. We'll just see what we <laughs> yeah. see. Brooks got buttons, everybody. What? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, Brooks got an applause button too, everybody. That was really funny. <laughs> but don't blame us for your UTI. <laughs> Brooke just did the thing I that people that do in elevators <laughs> where she just hits all the buttons. She just runs her finger down all the buttons at once. Everybody was like, what? what? And then it ended with the UTI. Perfect. I know. I pushed the wrong one. I, I, I need to really just practice pushing the buttons, you know, to memorize what they are. <laughs> These are old recordings. Everyone listening. These are old recordings, like years. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> We're glad you have them. This is this is part of by some old, some friends of mine. In order to have serious fun, serious. These are serious conversations. We're having them. We want to have mm-hmm. them, and it's like it's it's bad for your health to get too worked really up about is. it. Oh, it's it literally bad for your health to get too worked up about it. And I'm a health conscious man. I'm a health forward man. And so I wanted to, yeah, this is, this is why we do this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we set up the show this way. If you're getting too upset out there, remember to breathe, you know, maybe catch you some devil's lettuce out there. Just do whatever mm-hmm. you need to do to relax. Tranquilo, tranquilo. We're just having a little fun. So you That's got a reminder for me, you, you got the major organizations. Um, yeah. and, and the, Elite, I'll just air quote his, elite influencers, people like Ted Ross from the WHO, people like the president of Siemens, I think that was the president, um, that they're they're pandering and they're saying that we got to do this for the climate. What's more likely to be true is that they have financial interests in companies that are set to benefit from the alternative that they're going to pre- present. We can agree that there's a problem, but we adamantly disagree to their solution, which is everybody's got to go plant-based. Um, so what I'm going to do now is is lay out in the next little ramp, we're going to go through some of the proposed solutions to their problem, to the problem that we can all agree on. This one's about two and a half minutes, so sit back, relax, and really pay attention. This may look like ground chicken, but it's not. It's actually wheat, barley, and mung bean, but its protein levels are similar to that of chicken and tastes like it. We're hoping that this can actually solve bigger problems like hunger and malnutrition. Akash Shah is founder of High Time Foods, which makes this protein. His childhood in India helped inspire his idea. When I would see the contrasting image of you know one side of society splurging on food and meat and spending the amount of water and energy that they would and then on the other side there's just people struggling for basic drinking water that is when something shifted in me Akash says I'm going to pause this right here this is this is real I I do believe this man sees this problem in his own life and was like this is not right he sees inequity we see inequity we agree that inequity is 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 a problem that needs to be challenged. It's to be tackled. Okay, so I also want to reemphasize that I don't believe that all proponents of solutions that I disagree with are inherently evil or malicious. I believe that they're rooted in experience, emotional attachment, and trying to get to the best solution that they can. 
Whether or not it is the best solution for the world is yet to be determined, but the point is is that much of this is actually rooted in caring like we all care for for all of this. So I'm going to let him continue, but that's just the setup. It's like he sees this inequity in India. It's not good. We got rich people using all the resources. We got poor people that can't get clean drinking water. That is a problem, and... He wanted his product to be shelf-stable, that is, not requiring refrigeration. One of his customers is the Boston-area restaurant Boloco. It doesn't have like that expiration date as the, the impossible need, that it has to be refrigerated always. Um, this is a dry product that we just add the amount of water that we need uh, to, to get the consistency that, that we want. But Akash says it's not to be confused with freeze-dried foods. When you look at freeze-dried products, the amount of energy it requires to freeze dry fruits, to store them, to transport them, and then again be able to store it at the restaurant or at your home. All of that energy that is required is not required for a product like ours, which can just be kept outside at room temperature. By the end of this year, Akash says his goal is to ramp up production to help people in need. We've been speaking with food banks and with disaster relief organizations. For them, this is of extreme interest because this product doesn't require any any amount of refrigeration. Battling global food insecurity is what Akash says drives him. He's not alone in his work. The Global Food Security Program at the Center Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington is currently researching the role alternative proteins can play down the road. One quarter of all land area in the world is dedicated to animal protein production, um, which has enormous implications for um, for carbon sequestration, for biodiversity, etc. And also, I'm going to pause it right there because if you don't know what you're listening to, it's easy to get trapped into belief that what she just said is that what caused it is meat itself or cows itself. Let's listen again. Security program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington is currently researching the role alternative proteins can play down the road. One quarter of all land area in the world is dedicated to animal protein production. One quarter of all land mass in the world is uh, used for protein production it's not the same thing as cows i'm going to play it one more time just so we can just differentiate all land area in the world is dedicated to animal protein production um, which has enormous implications for um, for carbon sequestration for biodiversity etc and also one-third of all water used for global agriculture is used for animal protein production so huge impacts on um, on the environment again so I think it's important as we look to a future um, with a, a greater population to find other ways to meet their needs for proteins both people say it will take creative solutions like alternative plant-based protein to get more people the nutrition that they need as the population grows and the world changes. Allow us, let's take a moment to deconstruct what she said to back the claim, which was one quarter of all the landmass in the world is used uh, to dedicate specifically for protein production and that one third, I just exited the clip, was basically to uh, the water usage was to, to that. Now, help create some context for the audience about those claims specifically. So protein production could mean, and there, and this is one of the challenges for people to understand when they hear the clip and not, they don't understand the system that, that exists, right? Protein production can be 
pigs crammed in cages that they can't even turn around in or chickens that grow up in a single cage at the same dimension, you know, proportionate to that animal. But then you have talking about, they're definitely not talking about ranches and farms and small ranches and homesteads. They're not talking about that. They're talking about buildings. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, stuff that we don't want either. No, in China, they're, they've developed multi-story sky rises for pork. Like they, they, they live in a, a high rise. Really? I mean, yeah. And it's crazy. And so, you know, they've got a, they've got a population to feed. They don't have the same land mass and farming practices mm-hmm. to feed the size of population they have. So they industrialize by putting them in pork high rises. So not to be confused with regenerative or holistic management, which is the only solution. I, I need people to really hear this. It is the only solution for desertification. Now, there, there's also, just like there's a distinctive difference between industrial farming practices, which, by the way, is still necessary. We will not get away from industrial farming. Like, we believe that the movement should be to regenerative, but we're also, common sense says that that's like a 20-year future if we change today. We're talking, it's probably more like a hundred years of, of work to transform our food system to one that, that reverses desertification and provides healthy nutrient dense food. Right. So we're not saying that the industrial food system has to go away. Like it it does need to transform. It has to go away. So then the comparison there, which I probably just forgot, um, when you blur the lines between industrial farming and regenerative agriculture, you also start blurring the lines between other practices as well. And you have to know that there, you know, two things can be true at the same time, right? Desertification, climate change, two separate things. One is real. One is made up for the purpose of other people to get agendas across, which, which has been exposed by the way, there's no, not even argument on that. I think maybe it was on the show. Maybe it was another one. James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, formerly Project Veritas, actually has undercover undercover video and audio footage talking to one of the top CNN producers saying that our next goal is to push climate change as the next major catastrophe. Like the, the game plan was released, right? So let, let me digress. So when you talk about Climate change and desertification, two separate things. When you talk about industrial farming versus regenerative farming, two separate things in, in, in massive context. Regenerative agriculture, holistic land management is the only solution to reversing desertification. And we know that because what contributes to soil biology. So when you have desertification, what you've essentially done is wiped out the soil biology. So nothing grows that causes desertification causes when rain uh, stops falling and then it only comes all at one time because it just builds up until it just has to dump. And then you have flooding issues, right? That all stemmed from the lack of soil organic matter. So there was no water penetration or, or infiltration, no, no mechanism to hold moisture, it evaporated. And you also then don't have grasses growing, which slowly turns into a desert. The only way to reverse that is putting uh, uh, microorganisms back into the dirt so that it becomes soil again. And that method 
is only done by ruminating animals. Now you can do certain things like biochar to help, but at some point, I mean, that just the biochar helps start the system, but you will still need to put manure in the soil to work. And, and it's very specific manure. Horses don't contribute to soil organic matter because it's not a ruminant stomach. It's a different process, right? Um, dogs and cats, and you, you can't have a whole bunch of dogs go through a, a desert and shit everywhere and then think it's going to grow a bunch of vegetation. It's not the same. We're talking about a very specific system designed by God that says, oh, all these natural things on the planet work to make the planet work. And then man comes in and thinks we're going to engineer point A to point B like we've discussed before. So that's what's happening. People are blurring the lines between two things that, that aren't the same. So uh, I'm the average listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, one quarter of the land mass is dedicated towards protein production. What goes into protein production? One of them is going to be feeding them, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm imagining that a lot of that land is corn. Yes. And yeah, we removed our food from its food. Right. That's blind. Therein lies the problem. Right. So we have a bunch of, of, of corn fields essentially that are needing to be watered and fertilized because they're not getting the diversity of the ecosystem that we would, that would allow these things to grow without out extra water or extra resources. Is that a fair thing to say here? Is that, is that sim, is that mostly accurate? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when people hear that, they go, oh, this is just cows, and it's mm. just feedlots, and it's just, so it's just all these cows that are hanging out on feedlots that are causing the problem, but I'm, what I'm, what I've learned to be true so far on this show, uh, to the best of my ability, is that a lot of the protein production also has to do with transporting it from one place, feeding it, getting it from point A to point B, yada, yada, yada. And it's not just cows occupying the land and taking up all the water. Right. Okay. Right. And, and when they talk about contributing to the volume of uh, emissions that to what, to your point, Brooks, they're talking about the system that we have set up, not the animals themselves, not the impact of the of the sentient being and its role in nature. We're talking about what man has done to that role is the issue. So we have some man-made solutions. There's some CNN. <laughs> well, you know, and dramatic Paul. I just, I just hate some oh, man. I just hate stupid people <laughs> because. <laughs> If you're thinking logically, uh, I just want to just want go, one thing with like go water, for it, go for right? It. Well, if we're just trying to have more water, well, then why not lift some laws that keep people from collecting rainwater, you know? Like, yes. Let people like, oh, guys, these are some easy solutions and you can help the problem. We can collectively work together. If we're talking about water, work together to like. You collect, you get to collect more of your own water and then you're going to use less of the water that's, you know, going to all the people in your community. Another great no, point. guys, no rain collection. Another even great rain point that the average listener anyways. has no idea about, that they <laughs> are actually stopping ranchers from collecting rainwater, yeah. forcing mm-hmm. them to use more water than they would otherwise use. Fucking great point. Excuse my Yeah, just so, just so they can come out and be like, see, you guys are, re- you're the whole problem, guys. Yeah. You're the whole problem. Wow. 
<clears throat> and that animals is and you're using up all of our water to feed them. We don't even eat meat. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so what, that's one of the concerns. Something made in a lab is way better for you. Here's some CNN. Here's some CNN. I'm, I'm jumping in. Here's some CNN. We've developed modular platforms that can 3D print meat, real meat, not something that mimics sweets. So it all starts with a cell that is collected from a real animal in an ethical way without harming the animal. Afterwards, we differentiate the cells into either muscle cells or fat cells. We load the cells into our bioink and load them into our printers. We can decide exactly what's the fat percentage and composition of a steak. After we 3D print the steak, we take it into an incubation and maturation process, meaning that the muscle fibers connect one to each other. And as this whole industry will evolve, we will see more advanced products that will replace the steak that we are used to eat in the restaurant. 3D printed steaks. You know, the only place they sell nests. At that point, you still want you want beef. You know, beef's good for you. Okay, then quit being such a bitch. (laughs) Ethical, it is ethical. What's not ethical is industrialization. What's not ethical is how you house them. What's not ethical is having way too many animals in one area. So their life is a, it is awful. It is nothing Mm but horrible. That's why you guys shake the hand that feeds you because there are plenty of people out there producing things ethically. They care for the land. They're stewards. They love their animals. They're thankful. They love God. It's a whole, we have our own ecosystem and it works really well and it produces good people, like nice people, helpful neighbors, someone who wants you to do well, them to do well. Let's work together. You notice none of those people are part of the elites, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Another one of the things point. that that, that uh, is kind of sits sits with me on this topic is that, uh, like the gentleman that was from India, and I've seen documentaries before as well, like in Africa where they would mix mud with the food that they had to create more volume to fill the stomach of the child that was starving. So how those two relate is that there are certain contexts where what they're trying to create, even I will even say printed meat could be a very, um, it could be a blessing for somebody. I mean, if, if you're starving to death and somebody shows up with printed meat, I would eat it. Well, it's not, it's not that it's like there's, there maybe isn't a place for it. Right. There, there's, I mean, we're, we only are know what's on TV, what they show us, what's happening in other countries, unless you're mm-hmm. in it and, do, you know, trying to go out and be a part of whatever the issue is or a part of the solution. There is a need for people who are starving, a lot of people right now yes. that need food. The issue yep. is, is uh, none of it's done out of really truly caring about the people. Compassion. No, it is self-interest. Yeah, it's to control. It, it is intellectual food property. So that you, we're going to tell you what you, that's the issue is I'm going to tell you what you can have versus present you with the options and let you choose, let you have freedom of choice. Just like that clip with um, uh, Jenny Harris on White Oaks Pastures. It's a false sense of choice that our food system is creating. It already, it's already exists that we think we have choice, but 
all of these brands you see that you think you're choosing one over the other are still all owned by the same person. And so that's the problem is they, they want to take away your choice because we know better than you. And so this is your option. But if we strip that away, what a blessing for somebody to create a product like that, that could feed a child that's literally starving to death and give them tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow is a better opportunity for them. Right. This is not what we're saying at all. We're not saying that lab lab grown meat is uh, evil. What we're saying is lab grown meat should be used in the right context. Yeah, it's not which ideal. Is, no, it's an emergency source. It's a just like it's know, not ideal to just, only eat dehydrated food packs. Yeah, and yes, the, dehydra- you know? the the dehydrated protein that can live outside is is a great option in the case of food shortages. What we're What I intended to highlight is how where we started with the WHO, it's all about the climate Mm -hmm. and and what they're going to do is present you not with options. They're going to say this is better for the climate than this. So these are your options now. That's the intent. Like that's what they're saying. I'm not saying that they're going to do that. They're saying that they're going to do that. That's why they want to move to. monetizing or putting a number on how much carbon is worth and creating the carbon credit system and then saying, okay, like you've used up too many of your credits. If you ate that ribeye that was made from your farmer or your rancher, instead you need to have this more eco-friendly zero carbon option. And don't worry, it's going to be nutritious and delicious. And I'm sure that there will have no, no side effects, but uh, well, I won't, I won't put the cart ahead of the horse here. Um, but the point is well made. We, AJ, Brooke, I, uh, are not saying these options shouldn't exist. It's that they shouldn't be mandatory. And they're positioning these options to be superior in a system that they are creating and benefiting from, which is this hyper-tracked carbon credit economy. When the proof that carbon sequestration or methane is a problem is still undecided. They're, they're wanting to like put all of this out there, force a lot of this into the, into the world, but they also, it's, it's actually not settled as much as they'd like to claim that it is. Uh, I have a couple of more lab meat, lab grown meat clips, uh, that I want to chip through. Cause who knows, we might find something funny to laugh at here. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, I call this one the war on chicken. It's Big Tech's newest take on Big Ag. No farmland, no coops. But these labs in Silicon Valley could be the future of meat. There are a lot of benefits of making meat in this way, from 70% less emissions, uh, 70% less water and land. But one of the biggest is you don't need to harm an animal. Josh Tetrick is the CEO of Eat Just. It's one of only two companies in the U.S. that's received clearance from the FDA for human consumption of lab-grown meat. The USDA still needs to approve it for sale. This is not vegan or vegetarian. The other company is Upside Foods, headed by cardiologist Uma Valetti. Talk to me about the science here. How does it work? The science is fascinating, but it's fairly simple. We take cells from eggs or young animals or mature animals, and we identify the cells that are capable of going into fats, proteins, connective tissue. Those cells are then prepped in a lab and pumped into stainless steel vessels. Inside this bioreactor tank, there are billions of chicken cells growing. It'll take about a month before they're ready to eat. Right now in the U.S., you can only eat cultivated chicken on company premises. Thank God. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I got I got the second part of this. It's only 40 seconds. Currently, the only place in the world you can buy cultivated meat is in Singapore, where Eat Just sells its chicken at a financial loss. So if the motivation isn't profit here, why sell in Singapore? Selling in Singapore is a way of demonstrating that this new approach to making meat is not science fiction, but it's here. It's reality. Experts say lab-grown chicken showing up on store shelves in the U.S. is likely still years away. There's a ton of risk in doing this. There's a lot of uncertainty. But the other option is not to do anything. And that, that seems worse. Pushing for change one bite at a time. Very cute. If it truly, you know, they said they're, they're doing it in Singapore to prove, like prove it, right? We'll do it here and prove it. Oh, you won't be able to because mm-hmm. no one will fall for your bullshit. Nobody's been you know tricked. I mean? Got to do it somewhere else where the control and how the government already works and options and, you know. Yeah. Again, if it was like we're, it works and we're doing it in these areas where people are starving to death. Okay. No, you're saying this is, we're going to prove that this, this works. We're doing it in Singapore. And this is like this new plan that's going to be better for everyone and better for the planet and better for everything. It's like, well, yeah, no, it's like those, if, no. if uh, marketing was truthful, you ever seen those memes? Like they just say it how it should be. It's like with this conversation, you know, there's been discussion that they, if, if and when it is approved here, they won't have to label it so that you know that's what it is. Yeah, it already, uh, I don't know if it's here, but it's already come out that they that they have approved um, lab-grown chicken and that they don't have to yes. mark it. They don't have to put yeah. it on the label. Same with mRNA. Yeah, same with the mRNA vaccine technology. They don't have to out, they don't have to say that it is. And actually, I think they even went a step further and said that you're not allowed to label that it isn't. Like you can't even talk about it. You just have to just put the product out. You which, think that they're using the mRNA on that lab grown meat? Oh, pfft. you know, it's lab grown, sure. but just in case, because, you know, even, even in, even in labs. Yeah. There's, germs. there's a chance. Uh, you know, what, what the American people need to understand is that the people in charge are not your friend. They're not out to, to, to benefit you. And, and, and some of my context and my belief around that comes from being in the military. You know, if you go do like, because I'm a combat veteran and it was pretty eye-opening for me to discover the amount of testing that the U.S. government did on their own troops, the people that you think that they would be adamant to protecting. I mean, I even got an article 15, which is a write-up. That's not a good thing. And they can take your rank and they can take your money because I went on a vacation and I got a sunburn and I got an article 15 because I was not fully functioning because it was a really bad sunburn. And what I did was destroyed government property. And I got written up because I wasn't fully functioning after I got back on duty. Whoa. And then you look into things like atomic soldiers. Like there's a documentary on atomic soldiers. Just go look it up. They tested nuclear weapons on our troops. They put them in the blast radius so they could watch and see the effect. Now they were far enough out. They didn't get wiped out by the initial blast, but they all got cancer. You're talking about 
the people that you think your government would protect the most because that's who protects our people and they don't care. You don't think that they are going to experiment with things just to see, oh, maybe, maybe this works. Maybe it's a bad, they don't have the data. First of all, it's not even been around long enough. They have no factual data. I mean, even our food system as it is and the impact that it's had on our human health is really only since the 70s. In the 70s, Earl Butts, who was the head of the USDA for the president in the 70s, I think it was Nixon, I believe. Um, Yeah, he was the head of USDA for Nixon, Earl Butts. He's the one who famously said, get big or get out. What also started occurring in the 70s was seed oils the mass production and, in, and introduction and the seed oils into our diet. And you can see all the advertising. You go back even to 1910 when they started promoting Crisco. The major marketing topic was digestible. And 1910 was when they started influencing away from animal fats, but they did it according to the mentality of the people of the time right? They used language that would make sense to them in their marketing efforts. So 1910, it was Crisco came out. Crisco was a byproduct of cottonseed oil. And then now, you know, my grandma, I remember big old cans of Crisco in my grandma's kitchen. My grandma, if she knew what she was feeding her family would have never done it, but it's that whole read the headline deal, right? We, we, even as I'm saying and accusing in, in a sense of headline readers, I do the same thing. I try to remind myself, but it's a habit because there's so much information coming our way. But anyway, I digress. It, 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 this idea of this is what's good for you. That's not, how, how is that even possible to even make the claim when it's, there's no history, there's no time under record to show what will happen to us. We have no clue. And AJ, you brought up a good point, which is that there are countless examples of experiments being done on citizens, civilians, and people in the military. Um, Look no further than the Tuskegee experiments uh, where a bunch of African-American men were intentionally infected with syphilis just to see what, just to see what would happen. So this, this whole idea that they would, that, that those things would never happen. It's like, well, not only have they, like they literally have happened. So it's actually, (laughs) it would be false to, assume that they don't still happen like there's way more evidence to suggest that things like that are constantly happening that things are being experimented on us and small groups and large groups um i won't get too far ahead of the horse here but today i was listening to a show that was discussing um i think it's the doc the, the midler experiment or the midland experiment which was where people were uh uh told by a man in a lab coat to shock someone that was behind a wall. Now there was no actual person there. It was just actors, but they would give them a shock and then there would be a little response and they just kept ratcheting up just to see how far people would go before they were like, no, I'm not going to do that. And 66% of people took it all the way up to lethal. Now, of course there was nobody actually there, but because Mm -hmm. there was a man in a lab coat saying, this is okay, you can do this. People would do that. And if you go back and, look at some of the coverage that happened during the pandemic, how many people were on TV in white lab coats outside oh, of a lab? Oh, dang. Yeah. We're in white lab. Like the white lab coat thing was like, Oh my God, they were running a, like a freaking large scale Midland experiment, Midler experiment. I think it's Midler Midler experiment on the population. So 
I'm going to, we're going to connect this back. I'm going to play, I'm going to play a clip from Robert Malone. He's at the Eat Beef Initiative. Oh, I love Robert Malone. And he's talking mm-hmm. about the mRNA in food. Uh, so to AJ's point, like they're willing to go ahead and do it without telling us. I did not invent RNA. RNA is a natural molecule. So if anybody invented RNA, it would be God. Okay, so not me. The RNA that is being deployed in humans right now is not really RNA. It's a synthetic molecule that's produced in a reactor. We don't know what would happen if you ate it because none of those studies have been done. The probability that you've encountered this technology without it being disclosed to you in swine is real. Has anybody ever seen a commercial chicken house here? Yeah, okay. Commercial. It's it's a nasty business. I mean, the chickens are packed wall to wall. It's the same with swine. As the consequence, you have animals packed in densely packed environments, producing rapidly evolving and spreading infectious disease. If you have a, a virus emerge in that in that swine herd, it'll blow all the way through that barn and the surrounding barns really quickly. It'll take down the whole swine herd and destroy the value that was there. It's a major investment. Merck is already producing custom mRNA vaccines for swine and is deploying this, apparently, under basically a special authorization pathway granted by the USDA. We know that in humans, these uh, mRNA formulations can be shed and the spike protein can be shed in breast milk, which implies that they can be shed in um, bovine milk, which implies that there darn well better be um, disclosure, testing, and probably prohibitions on using that technology in dairy because the FDA did not force the pharmaceutical industry to do all the studies that they should have done. Our government threw away the rule book for the way drugs are supposed to be developed, which is what got me so pissed off and speaking out. We are the study. Like, I don't think people just need to, you are the study. That's why the safest plan is to go as raw and natural as possible. When I say raw, I don't mean eating raw meat necessarily, although pad thai is pretty good. Uh, but what I'm saying is pad thai. Singling, so I'm just going to stop you right there. Pad thai. Pad thai. <laughs> Sorry. It's uh what is it called? I said, I like, That's not, um, it's, um, Oh, we know you? what tartar. Tartar. That's what it is. That's thank, a, you. thank you, bro. Save, save thank my you. ass. I'm all, yeah. let's go. Pad Thai. I was like, oh, shit. Like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Like, pad thai. Do raw beef. You yeah. Just in a pad thai. Yeah, the tartar. <laughs> yep, tartar. Yeah, there's some good tartar out there. But beef carpaccio, which yeah. I guess it's kind of cooked a little bit because the citrus on it. Yeah. I, I just, I get the questions so often on my social media about, you know, how do we know? And the, the answer is you don't. You, you just don't, and you're not going to. That's that, If you buy it from a grocery store, unless it's a small ethical grocery store, and I'll kind of use that term loosely, like in our, in our area, we have what's called Harmons. It's not a massive chain. And so as long as they stay not, you know, as long as they don't get bought out by somebody else, you can go to Harmons and see um, uh, Bar 10 beef is being sold there. Well, we know the rancher of Bar 10. It's a local that grew up doing what our families did in Southern Utah. 
so, but my point is outside of that, like all your major grocers that, that aggregate their, their volume in massive quantities from either JBS, Cargill, National Beef, Tyson, right? One of the big four. And, and, I'm, and that's not to say that everything that goes through the big four is contaminated. What I am saying is you just don't know. It, it, there's so much volume moving through there. So if you really are concerned, as you should be, the answer is always, and we'll keep saying it, shake the hand to feed you. If it's a, basically you want to get back to single ingredient recipes. If it's potatoes, it says potato. If it's tomatoes, it says tomato. If it's beef, it says beef. It doesn't have other ingredients added into it unless you did it yourself with your own spices and stuff as you, as you prepped your meal. That's where, that's where the, the, um, uh, the conversation that we've had around, um, um, Jeez, I've got a fried brain. All of the other stuff in the store that's not on the outside aisles, right? Your processed food. Processed, thank you. It's all your processed foods. When you read it, there's a list of ingredients there just to make it shelf stable or make it render the way they want it to render or even the texture they want it to have. If you know where it was grown and raised directly, you mitigate all of those concerns, because you now have a direct line to your food supply. And the good news for people is is there's a lot of farmers and ranchers that are leaving the system that they're in or that they've been put in and going direct. Like it's, it's a, there's a movement happening. So the good news is they're out there. One thing I wanted to say too, before we get too far away from the chicken topic, go look up what uh, um, pasture bird is doing. If you remove chickens from like actual live chickens, the nitrogen, the manure from a chicken, the nitrogen is so high that pasture bird, their model is literally to buy up degraded, desertified ground and run their chickens on pasture. They built like this 7,000. It's the largest mobile land vehicle powered by solar in the world. Like it broke the, it's like over 7,000 square feet and it moves under solar power every 24 hours. It's on new, it's on new ground. So those chickens are always scratching and pecking and laying an even, you know, layer of highly new nitrogen, uh, nitrogen, nitrogenated manure down. It is their business model to find that kind of ground, kickstart it, and guess what they follow up a couple of years later with? Beef. Because then now the beef has grass to eat that then contributes more bio, soil biology that it restores ecosystems. If you pull those things away, we lose our tool to recover and regenerate these lands. Although I don't have the clip ready, do you recall the number? The number that was proposed by, I believe it's King Charles, but at the COP28 uh, summit, they talked about how much money in investment is needed to solve this problem per year. Do you happen to remember what it is? It was in the trillions, wasn't it? Between four and five trillion dollars per year. Yeah. That is the GDP of the United States, which is the largest economy in the world. Four to five trillion dollars a year. So instead of having, I don't imagine that that solution cost five trillion dollars. I'm just saying it probably <laughs> didn't cost five trillion dollars, but they're saying we need five, four to five trillion dollars every year in perpetuity to solve this problem. So where we started is that they're connecting 
climate change to needing alternative food sources. Is that right? Yes. And the reason that we're doing that is because the science is settled. Is that right? Let's find out. Now zooming in on the debate over climate issues, Nobel laureate John Clauser says all the major climate models are flawed and that there's no climate emergency. He sits down with American Thought Leaders host Yanya Kellogg to discuss. Dr. John Clauser won the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics for his contributions to quantum mechanics. In a recent episode of American Thought Leaders, he explains why he considers major climate models to be flawed. The IPCC has 40 different computer models, all of which are making predictions, and all of which are being quoted by the press as predicting a, a climate crisis apocalypse. The problem is they all are in total disagreement, violent disagreement with each other in their predictions, and not one of them is capable of predicting uh, retroactively of predict, uh, explaining the history of the Earth's uh, climate for the last hundred years. Clauser says all the major climate models fail to consider one key variable, the effect of clouds. He says the models are done with a cloud-free Earth when the real Earth is shrouded in clouds. The cloud cover fraction fluctuates uh, quite dramatically on daily, weekly timescales. We call this weather. <laughs> you can't have weather without having clouds. And it is this fluctuation in cloud cover of the earth that causes what I would refer to as sunlight reflectivity thermostat that controls the climate, controls the temperature of the earth and stabilizes it uh, very powerfully and very dramatically. Uh, this mechanism, totally uh, uh, heretofore unnoticed, this is clearly the most important, the controlling uh, mechanism for the Earth's temperature and, and climate, and it dwarfs the effect of CO2 and methane. All the government programs that are designed to uh, limit CO2 and methane should be immediately uh, dropped. My man just told us that the top climate scientists in the world, all of their models don't consider clouds. So crazy. They don't consider clouds. It's like the most basic thing in weather and climate would be clouds, and they're not considered in the models. Honestly, it, it's really upsetting that they just assume that everyone, that we're all so stupid. You know, that like everyone, that, that no one would be like, well, that doesn't make sense. And meanwhile, yeah. the, these top climate scientists are out there like. Yeah. Um, I have one more clip on this guy. It's 40 seconds long, and it brings me back to where I started on the money conversation. Clauser was one of two Nobel laureates to recently sign a declaration organized by the Clintel Foundation alongside 1,600 other scientists and professionals stating there is no climate emergency. He says America's current climate policies are wasteful, misguided, and counterproductive. 
of these geoengineering proposals uh, uh, are outrageously expensive and they're totally ineffectual. There's no way you're going to have any effect. But the okay, by surprise, is that people are upset with what I'm giving, I believe, to be good news. The good news is we don't need to. And now that this guy has saved us four to five trillion dollars a year, I'm going to move us into some of the, our producer segment. Maybe we can get some of that money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear listener. Now that we have saved the world four to five trillion dollars a year with just this podcast alone, it's time to get to our producer break where we accept your time, your talent, and your treasure as value for value for us producing this show. And we thank you for all the time that you spend listening to this, laughing to this, and going, you know, maybe what they're telling me all the time on these major news networks is not accurate, and there might be some agendas behind it. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we are at a climate crisis, and we do need to eat bugs, and we need to have all these processed mechanized food systems put into place because nature is just not good enough but we don't believe that on this show and we don't believe that you believe that either so if you've been listening to this show thank you so much for donating your time and getting helping us get found uh that's why we got brooke on the show she's got 1.5 million followers on instagram we're gonna need a couple of couple hundred thousand of them listen to this show in the next year that's the goal (laughs) and if you do that you can become a treasure donor which is phenomenal we love to accept uh value in the form of treasure and so just so people know uh we do have one treasure donor i'm gonna go ahead and give a shout out to utah beef producers with the kind donation of 250 dollars to make this show happen very generous and the reason that we are receiving donations from utah beef producers is because they believe in this message they believe that the more people that shake the hand that feeds them the better off we're going to be both as a nation and as a globe and so i'm going to give aj a little bit of airtime here to tell us um, give us an update how's it going at utah beef producers yeah, it's going great. <clears throat> For those that don't know, Utah, Utah Beef Producers is a USDA meat processing facility that's being built in Richfield, Utah. Uh, I happen to be part of the team getting that open. It's significant. It's a big It's a big deal for not just Utah, but our nation. I mean, we're down from 10,000 slaughterhouses across the country and around the year 2000. We're down to 2,500 nationwide. Uh, and so what um, the owner... Uh, Henry has done is, I mean, literally sold off one of his ranches so he could afford to build this thing on his own because nobody was stepping up to do it. Uh, We'll be open around March. And from there, we'll be able to help people uh, access beef that we'll be uh, buying or partnering with ranchers in Utah, Idaho, Colorado, Montana, and Wyoming to get it throughout the nation, specifically the West coast. Cause we can do that two day ground. So, um, it's a big deal. We, one of the things that I hear quite often is how desperate people are for another facility all over the country. I mean, uh, Brooke, you're trying to get animals slaughtered right now. Um, for your customers, how long is the wait? Um, well, I just luckily, um, I've got a few slots that I can nice. get in probably close to April. Yeah. But for instance, like our, that's just for like six beef for Mm -hmm. the rest of them. We had to split time. So 
Yep. We've got one slot this month and the rest of them in March. But then I had to find more slots somewhere else for the rest of our cows. Yes. And, uh, you know, we'll have to truck the one this month and the, re- the re- um, I think like the next like five up to Heber. Mm. And then I found there's a USDA plant in Apple Valley close to here. And we have worked with Billy Wright and yep. we met with him. He's, he sees we are aligned in how we feel and how we think and the importance of our food security system. And he's able to find me a couple slots for the rest of them. So just goes to show me. you that Billy people, Wright, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you to yes, Utah so beef producers for putting yeah. their money where their values are recognizing yes. that there's an issue and there's a problem and stepping up and, and, and doing it because a lot of people just name that the problem exists and they won't do anything about it. So shout out Utah beef producers for taking the action to become a processor for all of these farmers and ranchers that want to deliver this meat direct to consumer. And they're having to wait a year and they may not have uh, opportunity to get their meat directly to the hands that want to eat it, which is why from the farm exists. Shout out from the farm app. Let me get a little applause for the Soon to be launched from the farm app, AJ dropped a little teaser video on Instagram not too long ago showing, hey, this is a real thing. It's happening. Gave us a little inside baseball look at the uh, at the form or I don't know what you'd call it. The user experience, the UX, uh, what it would look like when they're on the app. So shout out for from the farm for solving this problem. If you would like to donate your treasure to this show to help us help other people shake the hand that feeds you, you can do that by going to our Give, Send, Go page, um, which I believe you can find directly on the feedthepeoplebythepeople.com. You can also go to Give, Send, Go slash Feed the People, and you can donate directly to this show. If it's easier for you, we can go on Venmo or PayPal. You can go find brooks at seriousfun.io, brooks at seriousfun.io. I will happily collect those donations to put them into work for this show. And if you do that, oh, dear listener, if you donate $25 or more, you will have your name read out on the Feed the People podcast. We will read your name and we will say thank you. If you don't, I've gone ahead and upped it. I've gone ahead and upped it, okay? People had their shot to get in for $10. It's not It's not there anymore. You missed it. $25 <laughs> to get your name read out on the show. If you donate $100 or more, and you can also leave us a note at $25, but if you donate $100 or more, you can leave us a voice note if you so feel so inclined, and we will play it on the show. Have fun. And and if, you, if you're really generous at that $100 mark and you have a note that you want Brooke Ince to read herself, we will have Brooke read your note live on air, folks. Can I get a, can I get an amen? Where, Brooke, hit him with a, hit him with a, hit him with a button. Oh gosh. Okay. Any button. Uh, any of them? Any of them. Just not all of them. Okay. That's what she said. Exactly. <laughs> That'll literally be what she said. You can leave us a note, $100 and Brooke will read it. And, and it will literally be what she said. Yep. Okay. <laughs> So take advantage, folks. $25, we will read your name and we will read your note and we'll say thank you. $100, we'll make sure that Brooke reads that note. Or you could leave us a voice note. Completely up to you. And then you could also leave us your talent. 
there's many different types of talents. You may find an article or you may find a clip and you're like, you know what? I think this would be great if it was played on the show. Send it to me at Brooks Meadows on Instagram or at Brooks at SeriousFun.io if you apply, if you want to do it via email. And that is one way you can give us your talent curate the information that you would like to hear on the show. But another way that you can do that is by submitting your talent in the form of a bop or flop. So we have a bop or flop, ladies and gentlemen. This is for Brooke and AJ. Are we ready to play bop or flop? Oh, yeah. All right. This one's got it. This one's, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the whole backstory, but I will tell you the name. This one's called Got Mugged. It's just me. Reaction, That's a very but... specific mood. I'm gonna yeah. call that one a flop because I oh. couldn't just play it and listen to it. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. In a very specific mood, I would be all for that. <laughs> we got one flop, Brooke. How we doing? It started as a bop. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. what would I be doing right now? And I was thinking, no, I wouldn't be cleaning. I might be doing some macrame. You know, just tying <laughs> knots, just vibing. And then I knew that what would happen next is I would get annoyed by it and I'd have to change the song. So it might be a flop. <laughs> oh. But I wanted it to be a bop. Yeah. All right. Let's offer some constructive feedback. It is vibey, though. It's vibey. It's just not a bop. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't vibe or right. flop. It's bop or flop. And, and you didn't quite hit bop. <laughs> this is honest That's feedback. Right. That's all I'm saying. But I happen That's to know I'm that saying. this artist will take constructive feedback. So what would allow this artist to upgrade and remake this song into a bop in your humble opinion? I think for it me, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say for me, it, the 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 rhythm, I can't keep flowing. It it pivots, and I'm like, oh, I was just getting into a rhythm, and then it's a different. That's just me. Like I like to just ride it all the way through. Well, I would like to say thank you, Nate Dog. Thank you, Nate Dog. That's Nate Baumgartner, everybody. Not everything can be a double bop, okay? And he's we appreciate. He's clearly had bops. He's he's skunk holler, okay? He's the yeah. he's the producer segment. He's the outro. He's, he's yeah, we love him. We love Nate Dog, and we, this when is when you're successful, you just keep creating, keep you, creating, and sometimes they're bangers, and sometimes you're like, you know, I need to I need to go back to the drawing board on that one. Like it's not bad, but how can I yeah. make it better? And to be to be fair to Nate Dog, he is willing to put his talent out there. Like early, and I respect Nate Dog for that. So he oh, yeah. sent me this. He was like, "Yo, I got another. I got another. They just play it on the show." 
And I was like, I'll do it, Nadog. And he was like, all right, well, I look forward to the review because he actually applies the feedback that he gets when he listens to Bopper Flop. So thank I you, Nadog. I almost feel like <clears throat> maybe, because it's instrumental mostly, you know? Yes. Having like a, a hook mm-hmm. and throw mm-hmm. that in there. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like a, like a nice sound, but there's some structure to it. So throw in like some instrumental that's like very hook. Easy. You know? Easy. Nate dog, you're going to hear this. Let's get some, let's get a hook. You can call in uncle moon. That's our buddy, Dave Robinson. If you need a hook, get some bars in there. And then also, so let me give you just a quick little, uh, uh, side story. The reason this is called got mugged is because Nate and I literally got mugged in Jamaica. Okay. <laughs> so this <laughs> bumble clot that this was actually inspired by us getting mugged in Jamaica. And so he's been, you know, it's like, Hey, he, he sent it to us. We appreciate it. And this is time, talent, and treasure value for value model in action, folks. Not a, just because you sent it to us doesn't mean we're going to absolutely love it, but we will say thank you for sending it yep. to us. Cause otherwise, how are we supposed to play this game? Come on. You got this one. You got this. Dramatic pause. Dramatic pause. You know what? Forget it. I tried. <laughs> okay. So, um, thus far, we have we started on a bit of a journey, which was Tedros, WHO. They named a problem that we agree with. They offered a solution that we disagree with. And then we walked people on a little bit of a tapestry of, of, of all the alternative suggestions that they're making that we, for the most part, disagree with as the mainstay solution. Having them mm-hmm. as options, good. Uh, them being the mainstay solutions that we're forced into through carbon credits and central bank digital currencies that can control how and when you spend your money. Uh, and then we got to somebody who's ready to dismantle the entire backing behind their claim, which is uh, that this is causing climate change. And this guy's, hey, uh, you f- you forgot to include clouds <laughs> in your model. Hey, one one thing that we have almost every day: clouds, clouds, clouds. clouds. Now, since it. we're since this is like end of show stuff, I'm going to acknowledge that there is no immediate proof or connection between what we've played so far and what we're about to play. But what I will say, what I will say is the, the things that have been offered as suggestions are all processed food. All of them are processed food. Now let's play these clips. Meantime, rates of cancer diagnoses rising among really young Americans. That's according to a new government-funded study just published, and it found that women in their 30s drove that increase uh, by a large majority. Our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, looking at all of this. I was just so surprised that it was women so young. Morning. Morning. Yeah, this this is a bit of a, a warning call. Uh, I think we have to look at this data and and read into it and understand what's what's going on here. If someone is diagnosed under the age of fifty, that's considered early onset cancer, uh, early onset diagnosis. What they were trying to figure out is how much has this changed over the last ten years or so? What are we seeing? Are we seeing more of these cases being diagnosed in younger people? And the answer, just like you said, is yes. It's primarily people in their thirties that are driving that increase, and primarily women. 
Let me just show you, uh, per 100,000 back in 2010, he had about 100 cases diagnosed in that age group. Go fast forward 10 years roughly, and it's closer to 103. So it's about a 3% increase over that 10 years. Doesn't sound like a lot, but if you start to extrapolate and, and fast forward even further into the future, the concern is that those numbers will continue to balloon. And, but again, it, it, is, it is primarily women. So men did not have the same increase, and you did not see that same increase in people over the age of 50 as well. I have a question for y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Who is most likely to engage in diet culture? Women. Ladies. Who is most likely to fall into the trap of veganism and eating processed foods? Ladies. This is Isabel Brown about state-by-state fertility rates. This is a map on fertility rates state-by-state in 2005. Most states around the country had a pretty significantly high fertility rate, at least compared to now. Change that map to the year 2021, and it is a shockingly different picture. The entire country significantly declining since 2005. In the grander scheme of things, the United States of America today is at an all-time low fertility rate, and 43 states across our country in 2020 recorded their lowest rate in more than three decades. As a result, total population growth in the United States actually hit an all-time low in 2021, and now up to one in every four pregnancies are estimated to be ending in miscarriages. Why is no one talking about this? Why is no one asking if massive birth control consumption might be linked to this? Why is no one demanding an environmental impact study from chemical abortion pills who have active metabolites after you've taken them that get flushed into our wastewater system? Why is no one asking about exercise rates or diet or the impact of the pharmaceutical industry in our fertility rate. Is nobody alarmed by this? Because we should be. Speaking of a generate a, a generate a second generation of people that were completely raised on majority processed foods. Our parents' generation was the first. Mm-hmm. Our generation was the second. Our parents' generation was basically the TV dinner generation. Uber processed foods. Mm -hmm. Doesn't completely break down. There's still a fair amount of healthy people, but then they're pretty much from birth on raised on processed foods. And then they start having kids and little by little, our genes are breaking down and we're starting to see things like this from CNN this morning. There's been an alarming increase in colorectal cancer among young adults. Scientists are racing to try to figure out why. Earlier this month, the American Cancer Society revealed about 20% of all new colorectal cancer diagnoses are in people younger than 55. CNN Health reporter Jacqueline Howard is with us. I was just thinking about this in the age, I think it's 50, right? When you're supposed to get colonoscopies. Why is this happening in younger people? That's right. And it remains a mystery, Poppy, as to why we're seeing more cases among younger people. But when you think about it, anecdotally, it's no longer rare to hear of someone in their 30s or 40s being diagnosed with advanced colorectal cancer. But yet scientists and oncologists I've talked to say that there's no uh, genetic or hereditary increase in risk factors or cause. They say that some people they've diagnosed at a young age were fit and otherwise healthy. So why are we seeing this increase in cases among younger ages? 
And I asked Dr. William Day Hutt, he's the chief scientific officer at the American Cancer Society, here's what he had to say. It's hard to know exactly what it is, although in general, based on sort of the, the time interval, which is not that long, it's probably something external to the patient. Some broadly described, you know, um, change in the environment, like food, change in diet, change like processed in food. Aspects. So we heard there, Poppy, the investigation is looking into changes in the environment, external factors, diet, and the American Cancer Society is calling for more research into what could be driving this increase, and they're calling for more research into new treatments as well, Poppy. Well, we have no idea what's going on. Yeah. This is it's just, just gonna... it, it's no idea. We, we, we don't know what's changed. Uh, how about yeah. everybody eating processed food? How about that? Yeah. Consider that one time. And let's go do multi-million dollar research studies that'll take five to 10 years and still not provide clear information because they don't want it out there. They being the people controlling your food, everybody that has anything to lose for you going back to what it was prior to getting cancer. Notice that the people under 55 were the one most targeted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because people over 55 didn't spend their entire life eating hyper-processed food. This generation... A lot of time outside. A lot more time outside, Mm -hmm. in the environment, in nature. So I have two more clips for us. These are our last two clips, and we're going to shut the show down. Processed food. Who is one of the biggest... uh, And food is a relative... I'm going to kind of like... I want you to get it, but I don't want you to get it. Uh, food is food is a if the food industry covers so many things. So, which major food brand is the most iconic brand in the world? Nestle. Nestle's pretty close because mm. you're thinking, but you're not thinking guzzle guzzle. Coca Cola. Coca Cola. So we got all these people experiencing high rates of prostate and and colon cancer early. We got all these types of cancers early, and we just can't figure out a single reason why this could be the case until we got a Coca-Cola whistleblower out here. It would actually eliminate, to a large degree, Alzheimer's, which is now called type 3 diabetes, many forms of cancer, infertility. All of these things relate to food, but there's profit, Russell, in complicating the issue. The problem in America right now is that 75% of our diet is ultra-processed fake food, which we were not biologically made to eat. Our body is reacting to foreign substances and causing all this disease. If you took out those three ingredients, sugar, which is 100x, 100x more sugar we're eating than 100 years ago, that's a staple of our diet, seed oils, seed oils are the top source of American fat right now. These were created by John Rockefeller in the early 1900s as an industrial byproduct from oil production. But the the Rockefeller Institute is going to contribute to the the solution. Look at the label, canola oil, soybean oil. This is an industrial byproduct that's much cheaper than good fats like olive oil, avocado oil, ghee. That's the staple of our diet and highly processed grains. This is not hyperbolic. You would not have heart disease, which is the number one killer. You would not have type 2 diabetes. Imagine if overnight processed foods were 
banned, annihilated, and people just ate healthy, what would the difference be to diseases like heart disease, Russell diabetes, Brand. cancer? So working for Coke 10 years ago, we had a strategy. Now, as processed food companies contribute 11 times more money to nutritional research in the United States than the NIH. And the direct strategy was to fund thousands and thousands of studies to complicate the issue. Still, to this day, elite research institutions are putting out studies questioning whether sugar causes obesity. So- oh, you mean elite institutions like the Rockefeller Company? Right, Rockefeller <laughs> Institute? Or EAT? You mean like those? It's mass confusion. And then, as you mentioned, the medical system is totally silent on that. They're profiting from it. And I think the key thing to understand is that we siloed health in every institution from pharma to med schools to your hospital. They make money on interventions of people that are sick. And as you said, we've siloed diseases into these things. The problem is, Russell, all of the conditions I just mentioned are going up as we're treating them, as we're spending trillions of dollars to treat these conditions in silos, they're all getting worse. Rates of everything is going up. It's because the foundational reason for all of the diseases you mentioned, Russell, it's very simple and we're being gaslighted. It's because of food. This is not complicated. We are being poisoned from a rigged food system and the medical system is profiting. You know what that sounds like, Brooks? Tell me, AJ. Profitability and health are at odds. Let's see if I can. Well, you've seen the videos of like. Health actually are at odds. (laughs) (laughs) At odds. Just like you've seen the the interviews of like, um, you know, all these people who own Apple, these big companies, and they don't let their kids play Mm -hmm. with the phone or have. Cell phone. The person who indi- the, the person who created ramen noodles doesn't eat their didn't let their kids eat ramen, instant ramen. I just I took y'all on a little journey. Y'all got a Brooks Meadows special right there. I had the Coca Cola just waiting in the wings, buddy. <laughs> had it waiting in the wings. That's why you shake the hand that feeds you. They yeah. don't give a shit about your health, and they will create mass confusion. You're confused as to why the climate is is changing or why people are getting sick. It's because of the food. Uh, mm-hmm. And they want to create more processed fake garbage to give you. And they're going to try to convince you that that is better for you and the planet than eating a beautiful grass-fed ribeye from my dudes at... Uh, any ranch, but I'll just shout out Colorado craft uh, beef as an example among uh, uh, White Oaks pastures as another example. They're going to sit there with a straight face and tell you that you should eat plants or eat mm-hmm. cultivated meat or eat some highly processed Beyond Burger Bug Burger garbage, and that's somehow going to be better for you. That's all part of of the tactic of big food, big pharma. Major industries create disinformation, actual disinformation and misinformation. I'm working mm-hmm. on a show called Dismisinformation, which is about that whole thing. That's why, we, that's why we're here. It's literally why we're doing this show. It's literally why, Jay, uh, why AJ and Brooke are creating from the farm. It's literally why beyond, uh, Utah beef producers exist because we know at least we firmly believe that what will help the health of the United States, the economy, and the literal health of your body is to, is to go meet your farmers, go meet your ranchers, shake the hand that feeds you, and I promise you won't need to eat bug burgers. And you really won't even have to deal with a lot of this political nonsense because once you feel good, 
once you actually feel how good it feels to drink a glass of raw milk from a really responsible farmer, hell, if you're like me, you're getting a gallon of it today, getting on that gain train, putting on about 10 pounds, trying to outgain my pregnant wife. It's not easy, folks. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of ribeyes and a lot more raw milk, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to do it. That's exactly why we're doing this show. So thank you to all of the producers, Time, Talent, Treasure. Thank you to all the listeners. And thank you, AJ and Brooke. Thank you. Hey, and if you're listening, share this. Share it. Yes. Because what we're going to need for us to do, for all of you to do, listeners that aren't producers, is we need to be advocating for our producers. We need to advocate for what is true. And you need to, ha- you need to advocate through conversation in your own community. When people are saying some BS and you know that it's wrong, you know it's wrong. Stand up for it. Don't just stay silent because if you're listening to this, then I already feel pretty confident that you agree with me. But, you know, during COVID, all the misinformation, it's like people that are smart, we tend to like, you tend to like stay silent. And the people, it's like, who's the loudest? That doesn't mean it's the majority, but it's the loudest. And that's what they're, it's if it follows the, uh, the plan, then they make those voices louder, right? They create more misinformation and they create more confusion because they can control you. Take a deep breath and just know. (sighs) Natural is just always better. It's just always better. You know, less inputs, always better. More outputs. So when you get confused... Just start thinking, hmm, if I were to get a snack and I knew, man, something's really, it's better for me to probably have an apple, but I really want that bag of Doritos. Like we can all understand that, that conversation. Mm -hmm. We can all, we all know, oh man, I love Doritos, but they, they're not healthy for me and the apple is the better option. Okay. I'm going to have the apple. Well, just apply that same mindset to when you're trying to figure out all the bullshit that's coming at us. Okay, you're saying instead of finding a better way to create more producers and small farmers and ranchers so that we're, more people can have very natural, healthy meat produce, no, we're going to wipe, we're going to get rid of all of them. And you know what the best thing is, is for us to just control the environment and we're going to create something. And now, and now we won't hurt any animals. And that's how they try to get to people through their heartstrings, right? If you're someone like that and you don't understand really like what the day-to-day looks like for a, a producer that's not in the big four, okay, it's not in these industrialized settings, you have to just know and trust the fact that they love what they do. They love their animals. They love working them. They love taking care of them. They love, they want them to have a good life and experience. And then at a certain point, it feeds their family. And that is the circle of life. Thank you. It's the way that it is. And you can be, you can either do it and be a dick or you can do it and be a good steward. And I'll tell you right now, you can definitely err on if you've got a small producer, they're good stewards. Be good stewards, folks. Be a good steward. And that. Advocate. That's a wrap by advocating. on episode 10. They're going to advocate for us, and they're going to get this show out there, and we yep. will see them next week for episode 11. Shake the hand that feeds you.